Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we get the gaming news together in a bundle of auditory goodness. My name is Patrick Beja, and today we have Garrett Weindrill with us to help us analyze, understand, and uh, comment on the gaming news. How's it going, Garrett? That's going all right, man. I am here to analyze and or understand. <laughs> yeah, understand we don't necessarily guarantee. Uh, we, we try to analyze. Uh, you might get out of this show more confused than you were in the first place. But uh, yeah, that, that, there's a chance that you might understand just a little bit as well. So hopefully we veer on the right side. Um, so since the last time you were on this show, you got married. I did. I did. It was, uh, it was quite the event. How do you feel now that you're a married man? That is what everyone asks me, and I'll, I'll tell you the same lame joke I've told everyone. Exactly the same. You know, I also I got married a couple of years ago, and I also felt exactly the same. But over the, the, the following couple of months, I started realizing that, to me, marriage felt incredibly natural. And I sort of had a... Uh, I started looking, I'm ashamed to admit this, but looking down at people who were in a relationship and not married. And I'm not suggesting that marriage should be for everyone. It's just that for me, it was like, you know, oh, we've been a couple for three years. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cute. So, you know, it's <laughs> I, like... You know, I know this is the game, uh, a video game show, but I want to dive deeper into this. <laughs> You look down on people who weren't ready to get married, man. What, what, is, what, what is wrong with you? I know it is wrong. I'm it's not. I'm a young guy in the West, and and you're a you know you're an, a, an older dude in in France, and I'm like, wait, aren't you the one who's supposed to be a little more forward thinking and more accepting of other I people's know. life decisions? Come on, it's, man. It's, no, but it's not. It's not that I I'm judging. Maybe looking down is the wrong way of of saying it. It's not that I'm judging. It's just that to me, it feels like, you know. It feels like marriage is like what adults do. And even and it's not even the quality of the relationship. It has nothing to do with it. It's just that even people who are uh engaged, it's like, ah, oh, oh yeah, okay, you're playing you're playing couple. It's like playing house, you know? It seems it's, seems uh, somewhat like juvenile to you after having been through all of it. And you know, I was married for like a month. It's not like but it's just I don't know. It it felt if it, it's I'm just pouring my soul out to you just to, just it's it's very intimate thoughts so i hope you don't judge me too harshly for that oh, I'm, I'm not you know I'll, I'll tell you it was funny we were hanging you know kate and i were hanging out last night enjoying our sunday evening together and i, I just kind of i don't know what hit me but I, I was just like hey 
you know, I felt like, you know, when I was younger, that when I got married, I would feel like an adult. And and I don't. It couldn't. I couldn't feel farther from adulthood. I, I just kind of am like, I, I still don't really know what I'm doing. I'm making up as I go along. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel the same as I did yesterday, which is uh, very childish. I guess. Yeah. No. I agree. I definitely don't feel like an adult. I mean, I, I talk in a microphone to people on the internet for a living. It's that's definitely not the kind of thing that I would have thought of as a serious adult life. It's just that on the wedding side, it feels so natural to me to be committed to my wife forever that I, I it feels like this is the one real true I, it, and you don't have to get married but it feels to me for me specifically I'm incredibly and now we get into sappy territory and I apologize but I'm so in love with my wife that there would be no other way if that makes sense you know it's like a completely yeah, no, normal it, it, it seems like marrying your wife was definitely the right call for you. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I want to make sure people understand I'm not judging anyone. I'm not even saying that not getting married is is bad in any way. I'm very, you know, just more power to you. Just do whatever you want. It's just that I'm expressing my the way it made me feel because Garrett got married. So thank you, Garrett, for that uh, session of sociological study of Patrick's life. I'm, I'm glad glad to be here for it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about video games. That is probably more appropriate to this show. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, Battlefront. We're going to be talking about PlayStation 4 doing incredibly well. We're going to be talking about a little bit of Blizzard uh, news as well, which I think you might have a little bit of knowledge of. And uh, I ever gave you that. that <laughs> <laughs> but before we do that, I do want to talk about this uh, article that was published by Kotaku last week that made a little bit of waves. And it seems everyone has their opinion on the matter and opinions that are very uh, in, in very stark opposition. And even myself, I have to say, I go back and forth on the whole idea. So just to summarize what happened, uh, Kotaku is a games uh, site, a games publication, I'm sure everyone knows about it, uh, that has a kind of a... It's difficult to judge the quality of their reporting without getting very judgmental again. But I think it's fair to say that they're not the most... Um, they, they tend to do it a little bit clickbaity in a way. They're not the worst in that category. I don't want to say that Kotaku just prints trash. It's absolutely not the case. They're not a, a, clink, a clickbait farm. But they, they have a tendency to be uh, writing headlines in a slightly more clickbaity way or doing pieces of, of news on um, things that might, in, in the the... Uh, grand scheme of things might not matter incredibly much, but I think every publication is is guilty of that to an extent. It's not a uh, some people describe Kotaku as a publication that is that has no morals and that is completely uh, sold to the idea that they should be doing whatever they can to get clicks. I don't think they're basically they're not BuzzFeed is what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> And and what they did is last week they published an article where they explained that they uh, were being blacklisted by two video game publishers, namely Bethesda and Ubisoft, because they had uh, revealed 
plans for the upcoming titles from those companies uh, about a year and two years ago. It was Fallout 4 for Bethesda and a couple of Assassin's Creed titles for Ubisoft. And basically what they were saying was the title of their article is A Price of Game Journalism. And what they're saying is when you are an ethical journalist, this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with and kind of implying that this was unfair and that they were being, uh, you know, standing up for the little guy and uh, they were paying for being the speakers of truth. And uh, there are there were couple of analysis that came out of this both for and against this uh this this argument i'm curious garrett what how did you look at this well the the, the article itself you know it it it, it, it was I, I found it hard to kind of make it through i actually i i, I like kotaku uh, it was the first kind of video game news outlet i read with any regularity when i first realized that uh folks wrote and commented on video games for a living um, and kind of grew up with it uh, more or less. I know it hasn't been around that long, but in, in the terms of games journalism, it's been around for a while. Um, this article itself, I, it was hard for me to make it through. It seemed a little bit like grandstanding and a little bit like, uh, I don't know, complainy. <laughs> it's hard hard for me to get through it. Um, but overall, on, on the issue as a, as a whole of uh of this whole kind of you know well what, what are we what are we supposed to do when we get information like this we're not supposed to report on it and and should uh should publishers blacklist outlets that actually do act on information that has been leaked to them i'm, I'm kind of um i kind of looked at all this and kind of had a reaction like oh yeah okay this well this is how the world works why is this news mm. I, I wasn't really surprised by most of what i read and i was but i was surprised that anyone else was surprised. I'm just, so I guess where I'm sitting is like, I, I feel like this is kind of how the world works. Um, and I wasn't really affected by it. Uh, if you, uh, if you're going to leak things that companies would really prefer not to be leaked, uh, I don't think you should be surprised. What do you expect? Right. Yeah. What, what, what do you expect? I think it's, I think it's totally within both Kotaku and Ubisoft and Bethesda's rights to act in the way that they have. And I don't see any reason why they can't continue acting that way. I think this is where most reasonable people fall. Uh, and, and some people dress up those opinions with outrage, you know, on something. And some people I've read or heard analysis on this where people were sort of, even while saying we shouldn't use this to uh, further our view on some other matters. I mean, Kotaku has been linked to Gamergate or to being uh, described by Gamergate uh, apologists as a um, uh, guilty party in the lack of ethics in game journalism. Uh, and some people who say, well, you know, this really has nothing to do with that. Often in the, their arguments, you see that aspect coming back. And I've heard, you know, people make half of, a, of their argument about bringing it back to um, subjects revolving around Gamergate, when really this is a, a different matter, I think. So basically, it's very difficult to stay uh, neutral when you're commenting on this topic. But I think most reasonable people, basically, the core of their argument is what you said. Both are justified in doing what they're doing, but... And it shouldn't surprise anyone that this has happened. I would like to go a little bit further, though, with 
A couple of uh, other pieces that I think are relevant. Uh, one of the aspects of this grandstanding that Kotaku has been doing is making it seem, as we were saying, like they're speaking truth to power, when really what they were doing was upsetting the marketing plans of uh, big publishers, which I think, you know, interestingly not following the marketing plans of big publishers is one of the demands that people who want more ethical journalism are asking for. And then because Kotaku is usually on the other side, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, look at this, Kotaku, this is ridiculous. You're trying to get the coverage for yourself and this is clickbaity. And But, you know, in principle, they are not following the requests of the big publishers. And I think to that extent they are being a little bit more ethical probably than those that do follow those um those you know ndas and pressures to not reveal information that they have in their possession uh, possession ndas are, are a little bit different obviously but um but so this is i think one interesting aspect of it the other the other thing is yes they were saying they were speaking truth to power but it's not like they were revealing incredibly sensitive information about, you know, working conditions in some studios, like what, what we've seen about EA a few years ago with uh, unsuitable working conditions. That would be considered proper journalism that is, you know, actually speaking truth to power. So it's, it's, it's difficult for them to stand on that leg of journalism when what they're doing is saying Fallout 4 is going to come out uh, in a year and or in two years, or, or Bethesda is working on Fallout Four, and it's like, well, there there isn't a huge humanity enhancing value in your <laughs> incredible leak, right? You're not a, 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 a whistleblower for some horrible mistreatment of human beings. And right. and, yeah. and and the last thing the last thing I want to say on this is they are also at Kotaku playing the game of. I mean, playing the game. They're getting clicks. They're getting ads viewed by leaking, by by revealing this th these things. So when they're saying we're not getting previews, we're not getting invited to press tours, so we can't report on them, sure. But, you know, you're not getting money on those, but you are also making money on the leaks that you, you published and that got you immense uh, visibility. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything, uh, really, a lot of the points you just made, Patrick. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm with you on your, your statement that uh, it's not really enhancing humanity in any way, shape, or form to, to leak that Fallout 4 is coming out or that the next Assassin's Creed is going to be in France. Uh, um, and uh, hey, also, guys, it's going to be a broken game. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, like, there, there's an argument to be made. It's like, well, well, that that same argument can be made for how important or unimportant you may feel games journalism as a whole is. Um, I mean, when you when you sure. step back and we remove ourselves from the bubble that we all live in, it, it's kind of absurd, right? It's it's pretty silly. Uh, those of us who, who sit here and talk about video games, uh, whether it's for a living or or not, um, I mean, it's none of it is 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 life altering. Uh, I mean, games have definitely altered my life. <laughs> uh, but it's not it's it's not the same right. this isn't this isn't about uh you know the human condition at a greater level um so i think there's an argument there to be made like if it's if it's important to you that game journalism exists obviously this argument is going to seem important to you 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's fine. I think that I don't think there's anything wrong with with having a larger conversation, uh, whether whether you deem it important information or not. Um, well, in that in that vein, I would actually argue again, and this is why I was saying I'm going back and forth. Not really, but I think rather I can see all sides of this issue. Um, it 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 is also important that Kotaku says those things. I would have liked to tell them in a less grandstanding way. I think they they didn't uh, they hurt themselves a little bit there, but I think there is value in informing the public that these kinds of relationships between publishers and journalists exist. And you were saying, well, yeah, this is normal. It's uh, it's not surprising. It shouldn't be surprising to anyone. And I agree to an extent, but I think there are also a lot of people who might not realize that if you upset a games publisher, they might quote unquote punish you for it, which of course, when you're going to leak a huge, uh, reveal you know that they need to to sell their game because you know i used to work in pr and those are really important in order for you to make a good impression with your game and to actually sell it it can ruin the effect it can have a real impact on your business if that happens so um but you know in this case it's very obvious but there might be other instances where the 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 game journalists and the the publisher might have a relationship that will not allow the game journalists to work as well as they could or to be as independent as they would i think by and large the industry is working well today it might not have been the case a few years ago i mean we can hear stories about horrible things that have been happening on the net from an ethical standpoint. I think now it's not the case. I think journalists are able to do their work well, but it's also not a bad thing to be reminded every once in a while that, you know, these relationships exist. And uh, in the case of this current climate, I think it's a lot more, it's a lot easier for those publishers to freeze out a publication for such a long time because it's been a very long time. And I don't think it usually lasts that long because these things happen, but not that long. Um, and it's not unusual that they last, uh, that, that it happens, but now it's lasting longer. I think because publishers are relying a lot more on other ways of informing slash influencing the public. Namely, you know, YouTubers and uh, such personalities. And when I'm saying influencing the public, I don't even mean that in a in a coy way. Those types of personalities are called influencers within the industry and because they can influence the purchasing decisions of the public. So, yeah, I don't love the way it was done, but I think it's not a bad thing that they talked about this. I don't. I don't think so either. Uh, it's, it's, I like this kind of transparency, even yeah. even though I like you didn't really care for the article itself. Um, but I like this that this information is out here. I definitely find these types of relationships and how they are handled uh, vastly interesting. Yeah, uh, from where I sit, you know, doing you know, doing gaming podcasts. So uh, I I found it really fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, it could be a. a, a longer discussion even the relationship between developers and and journalists Uh, i yeah i really think it's fine now the way it works when there are things that go overboard they are 
you know, we do some finger pointing, some appropriate finger pointing, and uh, and overall the system works. But uh, it's video games. It's like movies. It's not political agendas and you know these kinds of i don't mean political agendas i mean it's not world news dicaprio has been snubbed for an oscar so many times now that's definitely a political (laughs) agenda going on agreed agreed all right hopefully it helped you see a little bit more clearly into that uh, that topic let's now move on to something a lot more video game e and uh happy which is Battlefront, we've been seeing the reviews since last episode came out. And uh, I think almost surprisingly, everyone seems to like or love uh, the new Battlefront. I mean, wasn't that supposed to be a a reskin of Battlefield? Wasn't that supposed to be a a cheap, easy franchise game? Um, I mean, I've definitely seen uh, some some dissenting opinions around the web, but yeah, overall, it's it's been a pretty it's been a pretty positive reception of Battlefront. Um, I mean, the old Battlefronts one and two back in the what was that on the that was on the Xbox original, wasn't it? And the uh, yeah, it was something like that. I can't even remember, but it, it was uh, early to mid two thousands, was it? Yeah. Okay. So that would have been on the like almost at 360s launch as well. Let me let me check so we don't <laughs> we we are somewhat uh, journalistically viable. Uh, to to date me uh, uh, to give you an, an idea of how young I am, uh, two came out right when I was starting college. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> two thousand four is the first Battlefront. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. No, those were those were games that I I loved uh, a lot. They, that are like they're very special to me because it was at a special time. I was just starting college. I was doing a lot of uh, a lot of like local gaming parties and stuff. And Battlefront was always a was always a staple. Right. Uh, so when when I heard that uh, it was it was coming back, that this was one of the first things we were going to get from EA after they had uh, had gotten a hold of the Star Wars license, I was pretty stoked. Um, However, man, it's been a, a it's been a, a hell of a fall for for games. <laughs> so I actually haven't picked up Battlefront yet, and I'm in no rush to pick it up. I, I played it a lot in uh, during that open beta, and uh, and I enjoyed it. But I, I I personally didn't have any experience where I felt like okay, this is a game I'm definitely going to drop sixty dollars on and uh, and pick up day one. Yeah, I think uh, for me it's on my list. You know, my Christmas list as well. So it's not. It's not quite uh, in my console yet. I think I will get it for Christmas. Um, But given the reviews, honestly, everyone seems to be saying it's not an awesome game from a gameplay perspective. It's relatively shallow. It's uh, easy to approach. It's not something that you're going to be playing forever for the gameplay. However, (laughs) (laughs) However, if... You enjoy the Star Wars universe, the dressing of the game, you know, the graphics and especially the sound, which I think is something we mentioned uh, after we talked about the the beta uh, in the, on this show, especially the sound, immerse you in that universe so much that it's impossible not to enjoy. And I think, you know, it's, it's a completely va- valid argument. It, it, is part of the enjoyment of the game, even if the gameplay itself is not as incredible or as long-lasting as you might uh, hope. It, it's kind of the it, it is 
at least to me and the, the discussions I've been seeing around it, it is like the exact opposite. It is the counterpoint to the discussions I've seen around around Fallout right now, which is that Fallout is uh, visually unappealing. Uh, but it's, you know, the argument is, well, it's such a deep and robust game. How how important are graphics? And then on the flip side is the discussion around Battlefront, which is that it feels very much like uh, an old school shooter before the days of modern warfare and perk systems and God knows what else. Um, where where it's well, it's just so it's just so darn pretty. They just nailed the aesthetic of Star Wars so perfectly that it's okay that it is a shallow and kind of old school multiplayer shooter. Yeah, I think it's it's more than just it not being pretty. Uh, it being pretty. I mean, it it's it's more than just graphics, right? It f- makes you feel like you are in that battle, which is a pretty amazing feeling. It's the fantasy of video games, after all. You know, video games. Uh, the video games fantasy is that it is going to immerse you in a world that is different and make you part of a an adventure that uh, you couldn't live in your actual life. And I think the fact that they're being so successful in that uh, in that aspect of Battlefront is a testament to their to the clarity of their vision. It's also easy to approach because a lot of people are. Going, I mean, some people might think, well, this is too too simple. I'm not going to enjoy it. But I think the vast majority of the people who are going to be interested in this game are going to be Star Wars fans who dabble with gaming on their console here and there or aren't necessarily professional uh, professionals on FPSs. And they need something that is easy to approach and, and quick to master, <laughs> uh, easy to get your hands on and have fun immediately. And that they definitely deliver on that. I, um, I, I agree. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So yeah. I, I loaded into the, the Hoth level during the beta and just had my mind subsequently blown. Yeah, it is. it was an incredible experience. Of course, you might not play it for more than, I don't know, if you're not a big FPS or, or Star Wars total nerd, you might play it for... 10 hours, but as we were saying, 10 hours for a game, you buy games that are, you know, single player campaigns that last 10 hours or less, and you hey, sometimes I, get I satisfaction. Blew Halo, I blew through Halo 5 over Saturday and Sunday, uh, and I had a great time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> how, how long? Seven, eight hours? Ten? Something like that. Yeah, it did, yeah. It did feel very short, but um, honestly, every, it, it, I've, I've seen so many people complaining online, and, and I'm, I'm like, do you guys forget? Because I feel like every time I've played through a Halo campaign. I get to the end. I'm like, darn it. You know, it seems fast. like it was like about three missions too short. Yeah. There's also the multiplayer, but some people don't care mm. about that. Uh, yeah. The other the other question, though, for Star Wars is the $50 DLC, which I, I mentioned it and people reminded me that it's not the first game that has $50 DLC. So it's not... Uh, an exceptional amount of money you have to pay for DLC. Uh, I personally don't have a problem with it. The only issue that I see is that it does split the player base. And if you want to play, I mean, if you don't have the DLC, you play with people who don't have DLC, that's fine. But if your friends who you like to play with buy the DLC, then if you can't afford it or don't want to shell out basically the price of the entire game again. Um, that's actually not exactly true. This is the season pass. but So maybe DLCs will be more moderately priced as they, they come out. But um, if you don't want to shell out the price of the season pass, then you can't play with your friends. I understand that argument. 
I think it doesn't counterbalance the fact that you can get more of the game you like um, from by paying a little bit more if you so wish. And as long as the base game has enough content, which arguably this one does have, uh, then I don't have a problem with it. I, I'm going to make a really brave statement and say, what? EA's being non-consumer friendly. You don't say. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But um but so are you going to you're going to buy uh Battlefront, are you going to shell out money for the DLC or will you just be happy with the base thing? Uh, I I really don't know. Like I said, I I don't personally I don't think the game is worth 60 bucks and I I don't think more of that game is worth 50 bucks. Right. Yeah makes sense but you know when it's the the price is going down already uh, i'm curious let's check it out on amazon.com just I, to... uh, we just had um we just had the oh so famous black friday uh right. which very quickly turns into a black weekend uh here in the states and uh, i was looking all over the place for a deal on battlefront and there were really no deals to be had outside of bundled in with consoles and if you already have the consoles that doesn't really help you out all that much yeah, it's it seems it's still sixty bucks. I think in France we do get lower prices fairly quickly. Let me check. Uh Battlefrong? No, it's not Battlefrong. Uh yeah, it's already uh hmm. Well, it's fifty four euros, so it's not incredibly cheap. It's fifty two on Xbox One, forty on PC. So if you want to play it on PC, you can play it for 40 euros, which is a reasonable uh, price, I would say, for a game for that game. But uh, Yeah, yeah. I, memory serves when I looked at the tech specs. It is a, a quite demanding, um, but it's a beautiful game. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, probably around Christmas, it's going to you're going to see deals at that point. It might not uh, be super cheap. Uh, you know, when the, the thing comes out, the, the movie comes out, it might see a renewed interest but after that yeah by the way i just rewatched all of the star wars movies and all, all all six all six did you even watch the animated clone wars movie no okay good because the series is way better than the movie okay well maybe i should watch that but wow the movies are so bad what so bad oh uh i'm i'm leaving your podcast now patrick so ah, uh, i mean the original trilogy is bad because it's old. You know, it's overacted. The the direction is is kind of kitschy. The the special effects are, you know, you recognize why it was awesome at the time. But the new trilogy, oh my god! Yeah, I mean, again, I want to talk about not brave statements. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, but you know, it's. Yeah, go ahead. Listen, listen. I mean, I, I'm I'm significantly younger than you, Patrick. I was yeah. the right age for when the prequels started to come out. Right. I distinctly remember being uh, just ecstatic and hyper enthusiastic about Episode One coming out. I was very young at the time. Um, two came out. I was chasing girls in high school. Didn't really care. Uh, but then Episode Three came out when I was graduating high school, and I was really stoked for it again. Um, and I, I actually enjoy I enjoy Episode Three. There's there's a lot wrong with it, but I think there's also a lot right with it. I think of the prequels, it feels the most like Star Wars. Um, but, but, sir, I, I take great issue with you blanket statementing that the original trilogy uh, is anything other than uh, magical and 
and a huge point in filmmaking history. Oh, I didn't. I didn't say that. Uh, well, <laughs> I did say it's it's sort of magical. Uh, although even that, I think it it is. No, I would say it is magical, but it's not. There, there are not by today's standards good movies, and I don't think they should be judged by those standards. But, and I, and I also completely recognize the watershed moment that they represented in filmmaking at the time, you know. But it's just that today they don't hold up as well as I would hope they would. However, they do represent a magical time in my childhood. I have watched Return of the Jedi. I don't know how many times I had the the VHS tape, and it would I, I would see it every day. But my like, my yeah. larger point, what VHS like, tapes? You're giggling uh, at VHS yeah. tapes? You're, no, you're not. You're not uh, complaining about Star Wars, sir. It sounds like you're complaining about time and progress. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like you're complaining about. That. So for the first trilogy, I this might be the case. For the second trilogy, I'm definitely complaining about the movies. They are <laughs> yeah. horrible pieces of crap. Um, I, I agree. I agree. And, and my point, my larger point is, if you will allow me to <laughs> to speak on this topic for a few more seconds, I can't wait for the next movies because I can't see how they wouldn't be infinitely better than the prequel trilogy. And people saying... Oh my God, Disney bought Lucasfilm. This is going to be horrible. They're going to ruin our child childhood. <laughs> you are insane, dear person. The, 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 the ruining happened in 2000, you know, 1999, 2002, and 2005. That's when the ruining happened. So I'm yeah, looking it, forward to J.J. Abrams' uh, trilogy. I, I am as well. I am as well. I, I remember seeing the, the the exact same kind of complaints that you just you were just teasing at, uh, you know, and having a very similar reaction. You know, everyone who was like, "Oh no, Disney bought Lucas." Me, as a Star Wars fan, all I have wanted uh, since the prequels came out and were lackluster was to see Star Wars. Uh, handled by somebody that was not George Lucas. That's the only thing I wanted, and I thought I would go to my grave without seeing that. Yeah, um, I, I honestly did. I, I, I thought well, it might still happen. I, I read on hope it does, but well, well no, I mean it, it's already happened, right? We already we're gonna no, have a I mean, Abrams Star Wars movie. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Coming out? No, I mean it's coming out in two weeks. You don't know what. This is a terrible joke. Anyway, um, oh, you're making a joke that what like that Lucas was too involved with it that we're still gonna see. No, it I'm making a joke that you might not make it to the seventeenth. Oh. oh, right, right. right. <laughs> oh, that is terrible. I'm yeah. sorry. It is terrible. Oh, it is terrible. Patrick, you're a horrible. No, no, no. I, but yeah, that, I, yeah. you know, that's personally what I, you know, that's what I wanted to see, and I'm I'm really excited to see it. You know, whether it's you know good or bad, that that is still to be determined. Personally, I think the trailers are. I'm looking at this like, how can this be bad? Yeah. But, it could. It still could. But, uh, oh, yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, Marvel has been a, an excellent shepherd of the Marvel franchises until now. Uh, you know, some better than others, but I don't think they can. In You know, there is any way in this world that they can stoop as low as the second trilogy. I agree. I'm and right I say, as I say all of this, I notice that you have uh, an, an uh, R2 a uh, little figure with a Darth Vader little figure in the background because I can see your video. So, 
I'm also wearing Star Wars pajama pants at the moment. <laughs> Too much information. Um, <laughs> all right. More video game news. Uh, PlayStation 4 sales have reached 30 million units worldwide. This is two years after the launch of the console, and it beats every other console on the market uh, or that has ever been on the market, a uh, home console, except for the Wii. And uh, the PlayStation 2 was almost at that level, and it was a, a runaway success. Uh, the PlayStation 2 was by far the biggest uh, console that Sony, Sony put out. And uh, yeah, so just a confirmation that uh, 30 million PlayStation 4 is definitely the biggest selling console of this generation. There's, there was little doubt, but uh, yeah, confirmed again. It's a, it's a damn fine console. The PlayStation 2 emulation might be coming to PlayStation 4, which is going to make the Xbox One owners giggle a little bit because they are getting Xbox 360 uh, emulation. And they actually did get it. I mean, we got it. I do own a, an Xbox One, um, on which I, I've been playing Tomb Raider, by the way, which is really cool and i can't wait to play more as soon as i manage to get myself away from overwatch which i'm playing non-stop all the time <laughs> um but yeah so playstation 2 you know um okay i i'm less excited about playstation 2 emulation uh, i thought and i i did mention that xbox 360 emulation like xbox one could be very cool it's less so for PlayStation 2 emulation on PS4. Um, but, you know, okay, it might, uh, we might see an announcement at the PlayStation experience that is going to take place in December. This may, this may show my, my ignorance to uh, the history of PlayStation 4's announcement. So they just skip over PlayStation 3 emulation and they're just like, hey guys, we're just going straight back to 2. <laughs> Basically, this is what makes it funny. Um, uh, the thing making, is, like, it's, I, I very rarely feel like playing older games. Um, outside so, of make PC, but the thing the thing on with PlayStation Three is that first of all the architecture is is very different from the one of the PlayStation Four, and I really don't think they could. Uh, I, well, I don't know, but I think it would be very difficult to to have a PlayStation Three emulation on PlayStation Four because the console just isn't powerful enough to emulate that. Also, they have their their PlayStation Now service where you can subscribe to uh, the service and get game streaming which includes a lot of the uh, bigger games from the PlayStation 3 platform so it might be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit as they're trying to get the PlayStation Now service to take off uh, if they were to allow PlayStation 3 emulation on, on the PlayStation 4. I don't think that's really the reason because with the service, you get all the games. It's a subscription and you don't need to buy the games. With the uh, backwards compatibility, you still have to own those old games. And if you own them, you've probably already paid them. So it would be more interesting for games that you haven't owned, which means you would have to buy them again or to buy them for the first time. So, uh, yeah, I think it's more of a technical reason. But uh, still, it's PlayStation 3, I don't think, is coming anytime soon on, on PS4. I will be loading up Zone of the Enders at some point in the near future to see if my nostalgia holds up. <laughs> uh, spoiler, it probably doesn't. Probably doesn't. <laughs> uh, there's also the question of remote play on the PlayStation 4 coming to PC and Mac. 
And that is uh, pretty interesting as well, since the Xbox One has been remote playable through Windows 10 PCs for a few months now. And um, the it, it is uh, apparently going to happen, according to Shue Yoshida, it is going to happen uh, at some point in the future. And I suspect we might see uh, a, a, an announcement at the PlayStation Experience in December again. I would um, lo- love for that to, to happen. Really? You- yeah. At the moment, I, I frequently uh, bring my, my PlayStation 4 in between my office and my, my living room, just depending on where I want to play for whatever reason. So you would sit in your office chair and have a, a controller connected to your PC and play PlayStation games on your PC? Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. I, why, I, why not play your PlayStation on the couch? Maybe I feel like slacking off during the workday and uh, want to have a <laughs> monitor up in case something important comes up while I uh, grind for a you know exotic weapon in Destiny. <laughs> All right. That is uh, that completely makes sense, actually. So... Uh... I don't know because I'm a gamer, Patrick. <laughs> that, yeah, no, I mean you can be a gamer in your in your Star Wars pajama pants in your ca- on your couch. I, I'm just it's, it's not as conveniently located to the place where I also get work done. True. Okay, I get it. Uh, and just to to be clear, this would only be local network, so you would have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. You can't do it through the internet, or at least not yet. I'm sure maybe hacks could make it work if you manage to get some kind of VPN back to your home network, maybe that could work. It could mean that you could play your PlayStation uh, anywhere. There's all kinds of backwards ways. I'm sure you can make that work probably even now with with existing tools, but probably not worth the hassle. Um, EA wants their own Assassin's Creed. Basically, they mentioned at an investor's call that they wanted their own big open world game, which is... uh, kind of similar to what Ubisoft has done with Assassin's Creed. And uh, they hired Jay Raymond a few months ago, was it? Uh, she's going to be opening, she's going to be he- heading Motive Studios. She already has, she has already started actually. Uh, and she was the original producer on Assassin's Creed. So yeah, uh, it all uh, makes sense. That's, that's, inter- that, that, that's, that's such an interesting uh, headline. He wants to Assassin's Creed. It's like, well, what yeah. are they going to do? They got to... Make some hooded hooded dudes and ladies and just not call it Assassin's Creed, but yeah. You know, I think the easy way of looking at it is, oh, well, Assassin's Creed, we're all tired of it, and oh my god, and again, why would EA do that, and blah. But the way I choose to look at it, because I'm a, a, a happy fellow, and I, I look at things from the bright side, um, it it might be a chance for... EA to renew the formula because Assassin's Creed is trapped in its own uh, conventions. And that is the most common thing you hear about Assassin's Creed. It's they should fix things that have been there in the series forever and focus on uh, improving this element of gameplay, this thing that doesn't make sense. And then they could have a much better game if they did. But you know they're they're on that incredibly uh, incredibly intense uh, train of having to release one game per uh, per year, and I'm guessing they don't have time to reevaluate the the inner workings of the game as much as they would like to. It might happen, but it hasn't really yet. 
EA starting from scratch could do that. Yeah. Personally, I think Assassin's Creed really hit a high point when they just decided, "Hey, we need pirates in these games." And I think they, <laughs> uh, I think they moved away from that a little quicker than I, I would have liked. Well, you know, everyone loves pirates. I think the next one should be ninjas, and then zombies, and then robots. Ninjas. They're all ninjas already, for the most part. That is true. That is a lot, true. A lot of roof running and, and and stabbing going on already in Assassin's Creed. I don't think anyone's sitting there going, "Man, I wish there was just more uh, moving through the shadows and and stabbing <laughs> people in these games." Fair enough. So, but you're right though. Uh, Assassin's Creed Four was basically pirates and ninjas. I never looked at it they, like that. They were just pirate ninjas. There, there was no verses. It was just they were they were pirate ninjas. That is even better. Well, there you go, EA. You have your winning formula written for you. <laughs> um, DSX Mankind Divided is delayed six months. It's going to be released in August 2016. We're not exactly sure why. Some people suggested it might have to do with the attacks in Paris um, because it deals with terrorism. The game does. And um, it might be, I think it might be a, a confluence of factors. There might have been a little bit more work needed and they m might have been thinking about it already. And then when the attacks happened, they were like, all right, you know what? That's the last reason to do it. Let's just delay. But um, if you're looking forward to it, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Did you see PewDiePie's teaser for his new reality show? I saw... A headline saying that the teaser existed and then promptly didn't watch it. <laughs> well, as the professional I am, I did watch it. And, you know, PewDiePie is the biggest YouTuber in the world. He has, what, 30 million subscribers, an incredible number. Um, he ostensibly is playing video games a lot. He has a certain style, but it is... It is related to, to the gaming industry. He's certainly a figurehead for uh, YouTubers, who, uh, many of whom are, are video gamers. But this thing is not for us, is I think probably all there is to say about it. I think that, that, that would be the argument that I would, I would make. Uh, yeah. I mean, th this is definitely an, another outlet. Um, it, you know, uh, when, when I, you know, Throwing back to our opening story today, talking about uh, Kotaku being blacklisted and the whole discussion going on around gaming's press. Uh, I mean, uh, Twitch personalities and YouTube personalities uh, is definitely another avenue to go uh, for your gaming news and to, to get educated about games. Uh, and I would I would argue that uh, if you're getting educated about games through PewDiePie, that 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 is that is a way that I never in a million years saw coming. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that, that was going to be an outlet. Um, for this type of uh, for this type of stuff, but um, hey, the guy, you know, right time, right place, right medium. Um, yeah, it's just it's not my cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, it is significant for YouTube, which is as we were saying, a big platform for games media today. Uh, this is the the show that he's going to be doing is basically him getting scared by professional scary people who make up situations where he's like. He's engulfed in some gooey thing, and then there are it's it's ridiculous. It, it's basically the thing is called scare PewDiePie, and they try to scare him as much as they can. And yeah, whatever. It's probably more giggle worthy than than actual scary, which is 
the whole thing he's about. But this is going to be part of the YouTube Red offering, the exclusive uh, content that is going to be available on YouTube Red, which is the subscription service from YouTube. There are going to be some pieces of content that are exclusive when you're subscribed. And it's their, oh, sorry. It's their, uh, he's their biggest, biggest star and he's doing stuff, the kind of thing that people enjoy, the kind of content that people enjoy from him. I'm hoping that YouTube Red is going to be offering more than just that. But uh, right, there's two sides of this argument, right? Like, like part of it is, you know, the one side of the coin is that this is really cool. One of one of the, you know, I guess you could argue, well, why not just let PewDiePie keep doing what he's always done? But it's interesting, you know, it looks like he's actually getting a budget and he's being able to branch out and do types of productions that he probably wouldn't have been able to do at least easily on his own. Um, you know, making a reality show, you know, whether or not you'd like them. Probably not the not as easy as just turning on a webcam and playing a game. Yeah. Um, the flip side of that is, uh, you know, the cynic in me wants to go. Oh, so YouTube's coming out with its its first subscription service, and instead of House of Cards, we get PewDiePie getting scared. <laughs> um, so, so those are definitely the two sides. Uh, I definitely fall more on the latter. Um, but I but I, I appreciate the the positive side of the the former yeah. comments I made. House of Cards is the next thing they have planned. Just so you know, it's it's uh, House of Cards of YouTube, which is it'll be Kevin Spacey getting really scared while playing uh, Amnesia. <laughs> I would watch that, by the way. Just yeah, <laughs> I would be funny to watch Kevin Spacey play Amnesia. <laughs> there you go. Um, and to finish us off, we have a uh, bundle of Blizzard news, which I was mentioning them in the beginning. I'm glad you're on the show today. Um, uh. Let's start. You know what? Let's start with uh, Hearthstone, since you are the host of a uh, show dedicated to Hearthstone. Um, we've just learned that Blizzard has basically doubled um, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not doubled, uh, quadrupled the amount of money that is going to be going to the winners of the BlizzCon World Championship next year, uh, up from $250,000. Uh, it's going to be now $1 million. And the entire championship uh, year is going to have $2 million in prizes. Is that, that is a staggering amount of money? Is So is it? Do you know if it's more than other... Uh, I mean, we all know that Dota goes to, you know, Dota 2, the international, goes to incredible amounts. Like, it's it was, what, 15 million this year? Um, is it is 2 million significantly amazing in the world of esports? It, I mean, it is when you think... I mean, when you think about League of Legends or you think about Dota and and kind of the size and the scope of that, I mean, Hearthstone is up there. But to have such a significant jump in the in the main event in the main Hearthstone uh, tournament in in one year is it, it's it's kind of nuts because because this year we had we had another tournament we had the, the Archon Team League that actually matched the prize pool of the Hearthstone World Championship. I think it's going to be hard for for any any uh, any independent uh, non non Blizzard run tournaments to to do the same next year. Right, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, $2 million is a lot of money. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, do you, surely you consider Hearthstone a viable esports? Is that something that was needed to legitimize it even more? Or why would Blizzard decide to 
all of a sudden quadruple the amount of money won at the championship. Was it not enough before? Well, it gives it, it, it gives us more events, and it gives us more events that have a lot more a lot higher stakes because uh, they're breaking this up into multiple championships over across the year in four separate regions, and this is giving a lot more money to those uh, those tournaments that are leading up to the to the grand finals at BlizzCon in 2016. Which also, hey, apparently we're getting to BlizzCon in 2016. Because <laughs> it used to be that we were never sure, and now we, when we get when we get announcements like this, it's like, oh, I, well, I guess there's going to be a 2016 BlizzCon, and it'll probably be at the end of the year because <laughs> this stuff, this kind of stuff, takes time. Um, but no, I, I mean, I, this is this is great for Hearthstone esports. Um, so, yeah, I guess the the last question is, what do you think this is going to do for Hearthstone esports? Is it going to bring more people into Hearthstone esports, or is it just going to make those who are already interested more excited for it? I think if you make people who are already interested more excited or you keep their keep their interests, they're going to pull other people in naturally. I mean, that's kind of how I view things. Um, if, if, if it's the same thing year after year and you lose interest, um, you're going to have to work a lot harder to, to keep interest and gain, you know, kind of new followers. Uh, and the other thing that's going on with this is, you know, they're, they're changing up the way uh, tournaments dish out world championship points. Uh, pro players can still get reserve slots, but they're not going to be able to get round buys, which means they're going to have to go through the exact same number of games as people who came in through the open, which hopefully means we're going to see an injection of uh, fr- you know new blood, fresher faces, and and we're not going to see the same you know top 16 players every single time, which is wonderful for esports, I think. Um, and I think all of that kind of just builds a it builds a better co- a competitive scene around a game and in this case hearthstone is getting in and i think it's wonderful for it cool all right if you want to hear more about hearthstone the angry chicken of course the show that you do with jocelyn and garrett and garrett <laughs> and, <laughs> and Dills. Dills. yes um world of warcraft the alpha for legion has started i am not in the alpha i, I am you are there you go. <laughs> I am in the alpha. I've been messing around with the demon hunter. What good is it that I have friends and former co-workers at Blizzard if I don't even get in the freaking alpha? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm sure you're on a list somewhere. It's got to be happening soon, right? Yeah. Well, right? I don't this, know. Whole, this whole show, this whole episode is actually just a ploy for you uh, to get the attention of your buddies so they can go, wait, Patrick's not in? Let's flip the switch. The Patrick switch. Yeah, they don't listen to this show. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyway, honestly, it looks it, it looks uh, uh, pretty cool. I'm very excited about diving back into World of Warcraft. Uh, we're not going to talk about everything about the alpha, um, but there are a couple of things. I mean, if you want to hear that, there's another show that you should go listen to called The Instance. I'm sure we're going to talk at length about all of this on this week's episode, recording on, on Friday. Um, but... The one thing that sort of got me was the artifacts, you know, the new weapons that you get from almost from the get-go and that you grow uh, throughout your adventure in that new expansion with uh, the the talents, basically, that you have on the artifacts, which are significant. I didn't realize that the, the, the they're not talents, they're traits, but they are basically talents. You have three major traits the minor traits give you you know improved this or better percentage of of that but the major traits actually change the way you play your character sometimes significantly it it does change your your toolkit as a character as a specialization so i 
I, I've been looking at, uh, you know, reading everything on uh, MMO Champion. And I know the game is 11 years old, but I can guarantee you when the expansion comes out, just like every other expansion, I'm going to be playing it a lot. I, today, I'm playing it here and there, you know, to an extent because I do a show on it. But when it's going to to be out, when the new expansion is out this summer, I'm back in, man. I'm I, I'm totally excited about the expansion. I, I am right there with you. Also, why can't I play a Nightborn elf? They look amazing. I want that as a player model. A what? A Highborn elf? The, the Nightborn elves. Uh, oh, I don't know what the Nightborn elves they're new, are. They're a new enemy. They're a new enemy. And they're actually, if you just scroll down on the link in your show notes, you'll see them. It oh, looks, the Nightborn. Right, 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 right. They look so great. They're I want basically dark elves. elves. Yeah, man. They're so sweet looking. <laughs> I'm so a sucker for a cool looking elf for the record who is it who isn't honestly <laughs> um so so yeah you've been mucking around in the in the alpha what did you think impressions uh it's it's, it's great i it, uh, i've really only messed around with the demon hunter i i don't like playing warcraft or just mmo betas in general if it's mmo i like playing because i you know yeah, then you spoil yourself. The right? major issues with MMOs are is burnout. So if I go do all the stuff I'm going to be doing when the game goes live in the in the beta, um, I'll probably burn myself out on the expansion a lot faster. Um, that said, I had to get in and try out Demon Hunter. They're so much fun. They have such a great kit. Um, I love uh, I love when there's fun movement abilities. Uh, movement is very important to me. It, it, it taps into I don't know something that it's just the fun factor I find in games. Uh, and the Demon Hunters are, just have that in spades. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Um, and then finally, to round out our Blizzard corner, we have uh, Blizzard is, high, is looking for a global director of esports for Overwatch. Uh, there's a, a job offer on the site. If, you're, if you think you might be the person for the job, go check it out. Um, and there is a, um, what was it? A G2 signed uh, Epsilon uh, TF2 players basically to form an esports team for Overwatch. The game has been in beta for what, two weeks, a month? What, is it a month already? I guess it is. It has been a month. It's been a month already because yeah. you know, we're more than a month away from BlizzCon now and it started uh, the week before BlizzCon. Right. So, um, and, and it's not coming out until probably six months from now, uh, something like that. And we're seeing the, the makings of a, of an esports, uh, of an esports environment. It's not that surprising. I think no one is surprised that Overwatch has, uh, potential esports ambitions, but, um, yeah, again, do you think this is, a good thing possible going to happen are there issues or yeah I, I, like you said i think it surprises nobody um if if you know blizzard games now are at a point where they're kind of synonymous with esports for the most part outside of what diablo yeah uh, so there's there's a competitive this is nothing this game is nothing but competitive there's nothing outside of it other than the competition of one team fighting the other so uh, i think it was just it's just a matter of time. It's it, all it is, is it, it's, it's a matter of time before more people get access to the game before, you know, the game is stable enough to, to have a tournament. I mean, we've already had one for crying out loud. Yeah. And, we've had a couple even. 
There has right. been more than one, yeah. Right, exactly. So it's 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 going to happen as long as there are always people. What like even if it can exist even in a niche, even if there aren't like that many people interested, um, I, I think it'll be it'll be fine. It doesn't need to be the next League of Legends. It just needs to be the next I don't know Heroes of New Earth. <laughs> yeah, which is you know that's that's reasonable enough. I'm sure Blizzard has higher ambitions, but uh, yeah, it doesn't need to be the one. Uh, competitive FPS esports in order to be successful. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Blizzard sees this coming. That's why they're they're already hiring people for esports positions for Overwatch specifically. They're you know, I I feel that they're very good at uh, de- you know kind of nurturing their community and 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 dealing with them and talking with them. Um, so it's I, it does not surprise me in the light in the slightest that they're already building up a, an esports team for Overwatch. Yeah, and they're they're also. Um, you know they have this uh, esports department that they uh, started. I mean, Activision Blizzard, uh, the parent company, had, now has an esports department, an esports division. Um, so certainly, it's going to be taking part in that. I mean, I'm saying certainly. It's not absolutely certain, but it's likely. Um, so yeah, it it is. And from what I've seen. And, you know, my experience with Overwatch already as bare bones as it is today, and there are a lot of discussions about what needs to happen, what needs to change in the game client and how the beta has to evolve. Uh, But already it is such an exciting game. I don't know how it is to watch. I suspect it, it can be rendered exciting to watch. But to play, you have some moments that are so exciting and so tense and so... uh all you know inspiring and jaw dropping that i could absolutely see it work as a as an esports i i'm i'm right there with you i i feel uh, any non-isometric game uh is always a little more difficult to observe and to spectate and, and make sure that it's it's watchable for the audience um and also side note if you uh <laughs> if you've been like man i just want to break into esports get good at being an observer in overwatch because i feel like that'll be uh, <laughs> That'll be like that. That'll be a respected position, at least internally, because sure. uh, <laughs> it's it's not it's not easy. This isn't StarCraft where it's the same st- uh, camera angle for the whole game. Um, but um, yeah, no, I'm 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 right there with you. Obviously, Activision Blizzard is very serious about esports because they're you know they just they're they founded a new division. They hired Steve Bornstein. You know, he used to be part of ESPN and the NFL Network. Um, so there's. Yeah. I feel like there's there's a big push for esports coming uh, in in Blizzard's future bigger than it you know already is, and I, w- I would argue it's, it's huge. I mean, BlizzCon I feel like needs a third day because there are so many competitions going on, and if you're interested in more than one, it's basically impossible to see them all. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It would be interesting if they did expand, you know, maybe make things earlier, start things earlier, just for esports. And have actually they already start earlier for esports, but actually at the venue, um, the esports aspect starting a couple of days earlier, and then the pr- proper BlizzCon uh, starting uh, on the day it does with just you know the semifinals and the finals for each title. That could be interesting too, because it would be much easier to follow. It would that would be good. I mean, being there on the floor, it's it's it, it's tough. And even if you did that, I mean, you'd still have overlapping finals. So even if you wanted to see two, it could be difficult. 
Yeah, uh, probably. Which is kind of the, the already existing issue. So that that's a discussion for another day. Um, hey guys, it's hard to put together a uh, a live event of that magnitude. Who who to thunk it? <laughs> and you know what? I could talk about Overwatch all day. Uh, it's not the topic of this show. Yeah, but we it should, is. Uh, we should we should like start a podcast just strictly about Overwatch or something. We should do it like Thursday mornings at like eight thirty a.m. <laughs> Eastern time. Oh wait. We already do. That's right. Oh, man. Well, it's just shills for our own projects. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking about this uh, quite a bit on Overwatchers, the show that we do together. And we're recording a new episode in a couple of days now, two, two or three days. Um, and, you know, I'm, I will say this, though. I am constantly amazed by the fact that I'm not tired of Overwatch yet. And as we were saying, it's been a month since the game came out. I've, I have been playing it multiple hours a day since it came out. There, are, there have only been a few days where I didn't at least play an hour. And it is um, completely bare bones. There is nothing. There's no progression system. There's no, uh, league. There's no, there's nothing. You just play one game after the other. And it's taking me away from games that I adore, like Tomb Raider. I've been waiting for that game for a year and a half. And when the choice is between playing a little bit of Overwatch or playing a little bit of Tomb Raider, I've started Tomb Raider, but it's kind of like, you know what? I I think I'd rather just play a quick game of Overwatch now, which of course, you know, one quick game transforms into five, 10, 15 games. But that uh, game is very hard to stop once you have started. Uh, so I, there, there are nights where I'm just like, nope, I'm just not going to open it, not turning it on. And I, I, I need to play other games or get work done. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's that. And, and it is you know, surprising that this game that is so, again, bare bones in its current state in the beta is has had so much staying power with me. It might be just me, you know? It might be that I, it gels with me and that other people are not going to be interested as much. But um, it's it's very... it's it, it, For me, it definitely works very well, and I would have never guessed it. I thought I would like it. I didn't think I would like it that much. No. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm right there with you. It's uh, but uh, although I'm definitely uh, I'm significantly more interested on what the day to day in Overwatch will be like when it is live. What is the progression going to be like? Because this can't your interest can't hold out forever, right? As it currently stands, there's just you know, we're, we've we've moved on from the days of the original Team Fortress. We we don't just want to log in and play some games. We we you know we're spoiled now. We need we need a robust system. Oh yeah, of course. I absolutely do want. It to have like a you know daily quest system, progression system of some kind. I want to be able to play in in some kind of league or have a placement that tells me how good I'm doing, if I'm doing better. These kinds of things for sure. And I think to an extent, if I knew that this was all the game was ever going to be, I don't think I would be playing it as much. Ironically, you know, it's kind of weird. The promise of it having uh, more is making me enjoy it more now. It's weird, but you know, it's it's. Uh, I guess that's how it's working for me. But um, but yeah, it it 
it needs definitely more in order to have a, a staying power beyond a few weeks or a couple of months. Um, I'm sure it's going to get that, but I, I think I'm now getting, I think, you know, now in one week or two, I'm going to get to the point where I would even want the beta to go away. And I know a lot of people don't have access to the beta and this is going to be, you know, they're going to tell me, oh, well, you mother effer, just give me your access if you don't want to play it. But I don't want them to spoil the hype. And a lot of people are saying it's, it's you know, the hype is dead. Oh, I can't play, so the hype is dead, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. It's definitely, you know, not an ideal situation, but it's it's a beta. But I'm wondering if at some point, if they're not going to include all of those, you know, testing these different things soon, I'm wondering if they shouldn't put the beta on pause so that people don't just get tired of the game. But um, certainly seemed like uh, that kind of was the effect with Heroes with how long its testing cycle was. Yeah. Um, although at the same time, it's kind of it's very difficult to measure something that intangible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it had. I mean, it, what is tangible is that Heroes had a very long testing cycle, and that when it when it did have its its actual release, it seemed almost as if nothing had changed. Yeah, and it was also everyone, there were so many people included in the quote-unquote beta, which was, you know, it's a free-to-play game, so there's not a release point, you know? For for a game like World of Warcraft, you also have a beta, but at some point it's like, now it's out, right? You you can, even if the beta is, is incredibly wide, at some point it's like the, the live game starts. Exactly. Um, and, for, and for some odd reason, you know, Hearthstone had a very similar... Uh, kind of release exactly yeah which is you know it was just in testing and then it was an open testing and then one day they just said hey it's live and nothing had changed but for some reason there was just uh, it was a bigger event for Hearthstone. i i i can't even really explain why i think uh, maybe just because inherently hearthstone is is a more approachable game uh, something like heroes of the storm and i would argue overwatch as well yeah so yeah basically i i kind of hope that at least a month before release, they just stop everything, stop the beta servers, get everyone to stop playing and say, all right, thank you, everyone. The game will be out in a month and uh, we'll see you then. So I hope it happens. Yeah, I definitely I hope it's out sooner than later. And I, I would be surprised if it was a full six months. The game seems like it's in a pretty good place. They just need to get some of those systems in that we were talking about. Yeah, and they're thinking about all of this, but uh, we'll be talking about all of this a uh, little bit more on Overwatchers, which you can find on amove.tv. So please go check that show out if you're interested in Overwatch. And uh, that's going to be it for this show. Uh, so before we leave, Garrett, can you please let us know where they will find all of the excellent shows that you do, which we mentioned already a couple of times? About so you just you just mentioned it. Same move.tv. Everyone head on over to amove.tv. Check it out. Overwatches is over there as well as the Angry Chicken, Into the Nexus, all that jazz. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. Uh, check my solo show, The Angry Nerd. If you want more wedding talk, like we had at the top of the show, especially the sappy variant, uh, check it out. <laughs> I got a, a lot of complaints this week saying that the game, the, the show was uh, mislabeled. Uh, it should have been called the Sappy Nerd. Uh, but (laughs) go 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 check that out for a a significantly more personal view into my uh, into my life um yeah and it's it's at amove.tv as well right it is it is yeah yeah and i'm on twitter at garrett art so go check that out 
Excellent. Thanks so much, Garrett, for being on the show. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, no, not Patrick on Facebook. And you can find this show on uh, frenchspin.com. You can also find uh, the Phileas Club, which is also a very different kind of show. Uh, we get people from different countries in the world to discuss current events. And of course, on the latest show, which we recorded just a couple of days ago, we discussed the Paris attacks and a bunch of other things. And there were, you know, it was me, uh, a guy from Saudi Arabia, Turkey, that some of you might know, um, Paul from Hong Kong, and Nima, who's originally from uh, Iran. So we had a, a, a I think, um, a, interesting discussions on many topics. And Things that you, it's always, I always try to make it entertaining and it's always a fun show to listen to. I really try to do that. It's not about some serious political thing, but there's also some very interesting points of view that are expressed. And I, I hope that if you choose to listen to it, it will enrich your, your views on the world a little bit. So that is also at frenchspin.com. And as we mentioned, of course, the instance, I'm sure most of you know it, it's on Frog Pants, uh, on the Frog Pants Network with uh, Scott Johnson, and we'll be talking about all things World of Warcraft and more uh, this Friday. It's, it's just, you know, an unstoppable juggernaut of, uh, of gargantuan uh, qualities, you know. Who, who what, what? The, the, the instance. You know, oh, just, right, of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yes. it's, it's just the, the Voltron of... Uh, the Blizzard podcast. <laughs> it is. I, I really enjoy doing that show. You know, I've been listening to it for so long. I used to participate in it. And now I even, it's one of the few shows that I often listen to even when I'm on it. So <laughs> that's how fun it is. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this show. We will be back, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. It will be around the time of the PlayStation experience. So we might move the show around just a little bit, but uh, we will be back. So thanks for listening and talk to you then. Bye. Bye.